Section 6 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 13. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 13, Section 6, From the Snorra Edda. Thor's Adventures on His Journey to the Land of the Giants From Northern Antiquities, Bones Library, London, 1878 One day, the god Thor set out, in his car drawn by two he-goats, and accompanied by Loki, on a journey. Night coming on, they put up at a peasant's cottage, when Thor killed his goats, and after flaying them, put them in the kettle. When the flesh was sodden, he sat down with his fellow traveler to supper, and invited the peasant and his family to partake of the repast. The peasant's son was named Thialfi, and his daughter Roska. Thor bade them throw all the bones into the goat's skins, which were spread out near the fireplace. But young Thialfi broke one of the shank bones with his knife to come at the marrow. Thor, having passed the night in the cottage, rose at the dawn of day, and when he was dressed, took his mallet Mjolnir, and lifting it up, consecrated the goat's skins, which he had no sooner done than the two goats reassumed their wanted form, only that one of them now limped in one of its hind legs. Thor, perceiving this, said that the peasant, or one of his family, had handled the shank bone of this goat too roughly, for he saw clearly that it was broken. It may readily be imagined how frightened the peasant was when he saw Thor knit his brows and grasped the handle of his mallet with such force that the joints of his fingers became white from the exertion. Fearing to be struck down by the very looks of the god, the peasant and his family made joint suit for pardon, offering whatever they possessed as an atonement for the offense committed. Thor, seeing their fear, desisted from his wrath and became more placable, and finally contented himself by requiring the peasant's children, Thialfi and Roska, who became his bondservants, and have followed him ever since. Leaving his goats with the peasant, Thor proceeded eastward on the road to Jotunheim, until he came to the shores of a vast and deep sea, which, having passed over, he penetrated into a strange country along with his companions, Loki, Thialfi, and Roska. They had not gone far before they saw before them an immense forest, through which they wandered all day. Thialfi was of all men the swiftest of foot, he bore Thor's wallet, but the forest was a bad place for finding anything eatable to stow in it. When it became dark, they searched on all sides for a place where they might pass the night, and at last came to a very large hall, with an entrance that took up the whole breadth of one of the ends of the building. Here they chose them a place to sleep in, but towards midnight were alarmed by an earthquake, which shook the whole edifice. Thor, rising up, called on his companions to seek with him a place of safety. On the right they found an adjoining chamber, into which they entered, but while the others, trembling with fear, crept into the furthest corner of this retreat, Thor remained at the doorway with his mallet in his hand, prepared to defend himself whatever might happen. A terrible groaning was heard during the night, and at dawn of day Thor went out and observed lying near him a man of enormous bulk, who slept and snored pretty loudly. Thor could now account for the noise they had heard overnight, and girding on his belt of prowess, increased that divine strength 
which he now stood in need of. The giant, awakening, rose up, and it is said that for once in his life, Thor was afraid to make use of his mallet, and contented himself by simply asking the giant his name. My name is Skymir, said the other, but I need not ask thy name, for I know thou art the god Thor. But what hast thou done with my glove? And stretching out his hand, Skymir picked up his glove, which Thor then perceived was what they had taken overnight for a hall, the chamber where they had sought refuge being the thumb. Skymir then asked whether they would have his fellowship, and Thor consenting, the giant opened his wallet and began to eat his breakfast. Thor and his companions, having also taken their morning repast, though in another place, Skymir proposed that they should lay the provisions together, which Thor also assented to. The giant then put all the meat into one wallet, which he slung on his back and went before them, taking tremendous strides the whole day, and at dusk sought out for them a place where they might pass the night under a large oak tree. Skymir then told them that he would lie down to sleep. But take ye the wallet, he said, and prepare your supper. Skymir soon fell asleep and began to snore strongly, but incredible though it may appear, it must nevertheless be told that when Thor came to open the wallet, he could not untie a single knot, nor render a single string looser than it was before. Seeing that his labor was in vain, Thor became wroth, and grasping his mallet with both hands, while he advanced a step forward, launched it at the giant's head. Skymir, awakening, merely asked whether a leaf had not fallen on his head, and whether they had supped and were ready to go to sleep. Thor answered that they were just going to sleep, and so saying, went and laid himself down under another oak tree. But sleep came not that night to Thor, and when he remarked that Skymir snored again so loud that the forest re-echoed with the noise, he arose, and grasping his mallet, launched it with such force that it sunk into the giant's skull up to the handle. Skymir, awakening, cried out, What's the matter? Did an acorn fall on my head? How fares it with thee, Thor? But Thor went away hastily, saying that he had just then awoke, and that it was only midnight, there was still time for sleep. He, however, resolved that if he had an opportunity of striking a third blow, it should settle all matters between them. A little before daybreak, he perceived that Skymir was again fast asleep, and again grasping his mallet, dashed it with such violence that it forced its way into the giant's cheek up to the handle. But Skymir set up, and stroking his cheek, said, Are there any birds perched on this tree? Methought when I awoke, some moss from the branches fell on my head. What, art thou awake, Thor? Methinks it is time for us to get up and dress ourselves. But you have not now a long way before you to the city called Utgard. I have heard you whispering to one another that I am not a man of small dimensions. But if you come into Utgard, you will see there many men much taller than myself. Wherefore I advise you, when you come there, not to make too much of yourselves, for the followers of Utgard Loki will not brook the boasting of such mannequins as ye are. The best thing you could do would probably be to turn back again, but if you persist in going in, take the road that leads eastward, for mine now lies northward to those rocks which ye may see in the distance. Hereupon he threw his wallet over his shoulder and turned away from them into the forest, and I could never hear that Thor wished to meet with him a second time. Thor and his companions proceeded on their way, and towards noon descried a city standing in the middle of a plain, 
It was so lofty that they were obliged to bend their necks quite back on their shoulders, ere they could see to the top of it. On arriving at the walls, they found the gateway closed, with the gate of bars strongly locked and bolted. Thor, after trying in vain to open it, crept with his companions through the bars, and thus succeeded in gaining admission into the city. Seeing a large palace before them, with the door wide open, they went in and found a number of men of prodigious stature sitting on benches in the hall. Going further, they came before the king, Utgard Loki, whom they saluted with great respect. Their salutations were, however, returned by a contemptuous look from the king, who, after regarding them for some time, said with a scornful smile, It is tedious to ask for tidings of a long journey, yet, if I do not mistake me, that stripling there must be Aku Thor. Perhaps, he added, addressing himself to Thor, thou mayest be taller than thou appearest to be, but what are the feats that thou and thy fellows deem yourselves skilled in? For no one is permitted to remain here who does not in some feat or other excel all men. The feat I know, replied Loki, is to eat quicker than anyone else, and in this I am ready to give a proof against anyone here who may choose to compete with me. That will indeed be a feat, said Utgard Loki, if thou performest what thou promisest, and it shall be tried forthwith. He then ordered one of his men, who was sitting at the further end of the bench, and whose name was Logi, to come forward and try his skill with Loki. A trough filled with flesh meat having been set on the hall floor, Loki placed himself at one end and Logi at the other, and each of them began to eat as fast as he could until they met in the middle of the trough. But it was soon found that Loki had only eaten the flesh, whereas his adversary had devoured both flesh and bone and the trough to boot. All the company therefore adjudged that Loki was vanquished. Utgard Loki then asked what feat the young man who accompanied Thor could perform. Thialfi answered that he would run a race with anyone who might be matched against him. The king observed that skill in running was something to boast of, but that if the youth would win the match, he must display great agility. He then arose and went with all who were present to a plain where there was good ground for running on, and calling a young man named Hugi, bade him run a match with Thialfi. In the first course, Hugi so much outstripped his competitor that he turned back and met him not far from the starting place. Thou must ply thy legs better, Thialfi, said Utgard Loki, if thou wilt win the match, though I must needs say that there never came a man here swifter of foot than thou art. In the second course, Thialfi was a full bow shot from the goal when Hugi arrived at it. Most bravely dost thou run, Thialfi, said Utgard Loki though thou wilt not, methinks, win the match. But the third course must decide. They accordingly ran a third time, but Hugi had already reached the goal before Thialfi had got halfway. All who were present then cried out that there had been a sufficient trial of skill in this kind of exercise. Utgard Loki then asked Thor in what feats he would choose to give proofs of that dexterity for which he was so famous. Thor replied that he would begin a drinking match with anyone, Utgard Loki consented, and entering the palace, bade his cupbearer bring the large horn which his followers were obliged to drink out of, when they had trespassed in any way against established usage. The cupbearer, having presented it to Thor, Utgard Loki said, Whoever is a good drinker will empty that horn at a single draft, though some men make two of it, but the most puny drinker of all can do it at three. Thor looked at the horn, 
which seemed of no extraordinary size, though somewhat long. However, as he was very thirsty, he set it to his lips, and without drawing breath, pulled as long and as deeply as he could, that he might not be obliged to make a second draft of it. But when he set the horn down and looked in, he could scarcely perceive that the liquor was diminished. "'Tis well drunken,' exclaimed Utgard Loki, "'though nothing much to boast of, and I would have not believed, had it been told me, that Asa Thor could not take a greater draught. But thou no doubt meanest to make amends at the second pull. Thor, without answering, went at it again with all his might. But when he took the horn from his mouth, it seemed to him as if he had drunk rather less than before, although the horn could now be carried without spilling. How now, Thor, said Utgard Loki, thou must not spare thyself more, in performing a feat, than befits thy skill. But if thou meanest to drain the horn at the third draught, thou must pull deeply. And I must needs say that thou wilt not be called so mighty a man here as thou art among the Aesir, if thou showest no greater powers in other feats than methinks will be shown in this. Thor, full of wrath, again set the horn to his lips and exerted himself to the utmost to empty it entirely. But on looking in, found that the liquor was only a little lower, upon which he resolved to make no further attempt, but gave back the horn to the cupbearer. I now see plainly, said Utgard Loki, that thou art not quite so stout as we thought thee, but wilt thou try any other feat? Though methinks thou art not likely to bear any prize away with thee ence. I will try another feat, replied Thor, and I am sure such draughts as I have been drinking would not have been reckoned small among the Aesir, but what new trial hast thou to propose? We have a very trifling game here, answered Utgard Loki, in which we exercise none but children. It consists in merely lifting my cat from the ground. Nor should I have dared to mention such a feat to Asa Thor, if I had not already observed that thou art by no means what we took thee for. As he finished speaking, a large gray cat sprang on the hall floor. Thor, advancing, put his hand under the cat's belly, and did his utmost to raise him from the floor. But the cat, bending his back, had, notwithstanding all Thor's efforts, only one of his feet lifted up, seeing which Thor made no further attempt. This trial has turned out, said Utgard Loki, just as I imagined it would. The cat is large, but Thor is little in comparison with our men. Little as ye call me, answered Thor, let me see who amongst you will come hither. Now I am in wrath, and wrestle with me. I see no one here, said Utgard Loki, looking at the men sitting on the benches, who would not think it beneath him to wrestle with thee. Let somebody, however, call hither that old crone, my nurse Ellie, and let Thor wrestle with her if he will. She has thrown to the ground many a man not less strong and mighty than this Thor is. A toothless old woman then entered the hall, and was told by Utgard Loki to take hold of Thor. The tale is shortly told. The more Thor tightened his hold on the crone, the firmer she stood. At length, after a very violent struggle, Thor began to lose his footing, and was finally brought down upon one knee. Utgard Loki then told them to desist, adding that Thor had now no occasion to ask anyone else in the hall to wrestle with him, and it was also getting late. He therefore showed Thor and his companions to their seats, and they passed the night there in good cheer. The next morning, at break of day, Thor and his companions dressed themselves and prepared for their departure. Utgard Loki then came and ordered a table to be set for them, on which there was no lack of either victuals or drink. After the repast, Utgard Loki led them to the gate of the city, 
and on parting asked Thor how he thought his journey had turned out, and whether he had met with any men stronger than himself. Thor told him that he could not deny, but that he had brought great shame on himself. And what grieves me most, he added, is that ye call me a man of little worth. Nay, said Utgard Loki, it behooves me to tell thee the truth, now thou art out of the city, which so long as I live and have my way, thou shalt never re-enter. And by my troth, had I known beforehand that thou hadst so much strength in thee, and wouldst have brought me so near to a great mishap, I would not have suffered thee to enter this time. Know then, that I have all along deceived thee by my illusions, first in the forest, where I arrived before thee, and there thou wert not able to untie the wallet, because I had bound it with iron wire, in such a manner that thou couldst not discover how the knot ought be loosened. After this, thou gavest me three blows with thy mallet. The first, though the least, would have ended my days had it fallen on me, but I brought a rocky mountain before me, which thou didst not perceive, and in this mountain thou wilt find three glens, one of them remarkably deep. These are the dents made by thy mallet. I have made use of similar allusions in the contests ye have had with my followers. In the first, Loki, like hunger itself, devoured all that was set before him, but Logi was in reality nothing else than ardent fire, and therefore consumed not only the meat, but the trough which held it. Hugi, with whom Thialfi contended in running, was thought, and it was impossible for Thialfi to keep pace with that. When thou in thy turn didst try to empty the horn, thou didst perform, by my troth, a deed so marvelous that had I not seen it myself, I should never have believed it. For one end of that horn reached the sea, which thou wast not aware of, but when thou comest to the shore, thou wilt perceive how much the sea has sunk by thy draughts, which have caused what is now called the ebb. Thou didst perform a feat no less wonderful by lifting up the cat, and to tell thee the truth, when we saw that one of his paws was off the floor, we were all of us terror-stricken, for what thou tookest for a cat was in reality the great Midgard serpent that encompasseth the whole earth, and he was then barely long enough to enclose it between his head and tail, so high had thy hand raised him up towards heaven. Thy wrestling with Ellie was also a most astonishing feat, for there was never yet a man, nor ever shall be, whom old age, for such in fact was Ellie, will not sooner or later lay low if he abide her coming. But now, as we are going to part, let me tell thee that it will be better for both of us if thou never come near me again. For shouldst thou do so, I shall again defend myself by other illusions, so that thou wilt never prevail against me. On hearing these words, Thor, in a rage, laid hold of his mallet and would have launched it at him, but Utgard Loki had disappeared, and when Thor would have returned to the city to destroy it, he found nothing around him but a verdant plain. Proceeding, therefore, on his way, he returned, without stopping, to Thrudvang. End of section 6